Welcome to Beyond the Noise. G'day, g'day. Thank you for joining us, Nath. How are you, bro? Bro, is this week six or week seven? Ooh, I'm not sure. In Either s- way. School term or podcast? Either way, we are building quite the following. How is that looking, Tommy? Bro, we have like 100, 200 followers easy. Really? Jesus only had 12. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you do a head count now, it's probably in the billions, but <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but how, how did he start? Did, <laughs> he, did he have 300 in his sixth week? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he recorded in his, pod, in, uh, his uh, duplex as well. <laughs> Uh, so, did you watch your fancy NRL game last weekend last that you week. that you betrayed me for? I bringing did. forth our podcast one day in the <laughs> same way Mary brought forth Jesus' um, ministry at the winning of Cana. It's very deep. I really enjoyed the rugby league. Thank you for asking. And I think maybe bringing it a day did us some big favours. I thought it was a really good episode last week. Our conversation yeah. was really good. I did enjoy it. Uh, people seem to enjoy it. I enjoy the people, which all, which all kind of fits together. Yeah, it does. Like a puzzle. So I kind of watched this game you speak of, mm. well, and by watched I mean it was actually on in the background as we were at a party, mm. and uh, I noticed that the Dolphins, which you told me is the new team, mm. they won, <laughs> which leads me to believe that they're the only undefeated team in the history of NRL. <laughs> well, yeah, because they've played one game and they've won, so yeah, by virtue of that... You're only right. undefeated team. <laughs> you're right, you're right. I actually tried to make that joke... With my NRL friend who enjoys the NRL. Mm. And I was hit with the response, yeah, but in the reserves, they lost heaps of games. <laughs> I had no idea what any of those words in that order meant. That's okay. That's okay. I think they uh, took you too, too seriously. They should have appreciated your, your creativity. My, my hilarity. Yeah. And on that note, I was quite amused on Sunday at our uh, equivalent of a kitchen tea, which uh, the host called Shedby. Yeah, walking around, and uh, one of his uncles was serving us a drink. And I, I thought, hey, Nathan, this will be a good time to test out your rugby league, uh, your rugby league lines. So do you remember some of the lines you gave the guy? Um, I wrote them down on my phone. But yeah, I, I would just randomly say things like, Lachlan Elias. It's going to be his breakout year. <laughs> no idea who that is. Lachlan Elias. I told you that. I don't even know what a breakout year is. What the hell's a breakout year? Is it coming out? So, so just FYI, guys. Uh, so as this guy is serving us drinks uh, our friend's uncle I'm just feeding Nathan like different lines to try and make conversation and every time he would say it it would hit the guy would respond in conversation for example Lachlan Ilias breakout year the guy was like yeah yeah I think I think it will be so you actually fit in very well bro you yeah. blend it what about that Wayne Bennett <laughs> mm, th- that's Batman right <laughs> no, no, oh, that's Bruce Wayne <laughs> It was something along those lines. Oh, that was so funny. But yeah, we did have a friend's uh, shed beer. Shed beer, yeah. Now, shed beer is an humble, a humble thing, a normal thing. Yeah. But what gets me is the kitchen tea. <laughs> let's, let's talk about that. We, we have a few uh, questions. So um, let me ask you, let me start by asking you, what is the point of a kitchen tea? Help me understand. Because I feel at this point, I'm confused between that, between a baby shower, between a hen's night, all, the, all these things seem to... They, they all have the same purpose. <laughs> But before we talk about that purpose, I just want to, I guess, start with a disclaimer that even no, even though we went to the kitchen tea, um, the kitchen tea is that what the the girl whose kitchen tea it was? I guess so. Um, this is not about her, um, and I don't want her getting insulted because no. she's one of our biggest fans. No, this is not about you, kitchen tea yet. Mm. This is generally speaking because my sister it. also was planning a kitchen tea, but then COVID happened. So thank God for that. Um, and now she's planning a baby shower. So, so explain to me these entities. How, how, what, what's the well, point of them? Traditionally speaking, our forefathers or foremothers and four wives used to host kitchen teas 
in order to get kitchen utensils and devices and equipment in order to furnish one's kitchen. I thought so. Now, that's all fair and good in the past, but here's the kicker. It's evolved, Roy. How so? Now, the brides spend more on the kitchen tea than what they raise in kitchen appliances and kitchenware. I see. So what was once a money raising or a function raising a fundraising of sorts. A, fundra- a fundraiser of sorts has become the opportunity to wear those Hermes <laughs> slides that all the girls wear that are all exactly the same. Interesting, bro. So my it's about I'm not going to say showing off, but maybe it's just about hosting a party and so also the, showing so off. So what's the, what's the hens night then? Oh, that's different. Isn't that like similar? Do you want the traditional explanation? Uh, yeah, yeah well, the traditional explanation is the apostles used to hold. No, I'm just kidding. I have no <laughs> idea. But I mean, secularly speaking, it's the the last hurrah for the couple where they go and engage in um, promiscuous activity with strippers because, like you know, like Jesus said in the Bible, before you get married, uh, have a last hurrah and engage in promiscuous activity. Oh, of course, because it's the best way to prepare. Mark forty eight. Mark forty eight. Yeah. <laughs> so, so just to get this clear, so all right, so. I, I guess in a way it's a way for the for friends and community to come together and celebrate. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay. And lately, there's been this tradition where the groom crashes the females' kitchen tea. Mm. Unbeknownst yeah. to them. Uh, well, I mean, they pretend it's unbeknownst. So he walks in and she's all surprised. <laughs> but it was very nonced. <laughs> <laughs> very nonced. Interesting. Uh, it was quite nonced indeed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, bro, it's fascinating. I had fun. Sunday was a was a fun day, to be honest. It was, it was. Um, I guess let's move on because the refs have ruined the game. <laughs> Actually, when you said that to this guy on Sunday, he was very much like, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah screw <laughs> the refs." <laughs> he really got on board. Um, no, I've never felt so. I've never felt so masculine. Now mm. all I need is a U, and I'll be set. Absolutely, bro. Um, I went to the city today. Sometimes I like to work in the city, mm. get to see people, interact with humans as opposed to being at home. Mm. And I was sitting, I got there early, half an hour early, so I was sitting on the bench in front of my work because just watching the people, it's a, one of my most enjoyable things to do, watch people go by mm. and kind of predict what, you know, what's happening in their lives. Yeah, yeah. Make judgments if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> basically. Well, I do the same thing, don't fair, I? Yeah. Fair. Anyway, and I was sitting in front of my building and some lady was going around handing out, you know, a, rain, a rainbow ribbon. For obvious purposes. And she said, would you like a ribbon? And I said, what does the, the ribbon represent? Why is it rainbow? Good question. Um, and she's like, oh, it means you're an ally. And I'm like, as opposed to the Axis and <laughs> Axis powers in World War II? <laughs> like, like, we're Western. Of course I'm an ally. And she's like, no, no, no. An LGBT ally. Interesting. And then I paused. And I found that extremely interesting. Because she was trying to foster some sort of artificial inclusivity by encouraging allyship. If that's even a word. Mm. Now, many responses responses went through my head, Roy, in that instance. Um, and then I went with the most obvious. I said to her, you offend me, mm. ma'am. I called her ma'am. Because ma'am, on the surface, it seems polite, but really it's a bit offensive for some reason. <laughs> Probably because it's passive-aggressive. It's patronizing. Um, I'm like, you offend me, man. And she instantly went on the defense and she's like, oh, you're a bigot, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Calm down. No one's bigoting anything. I'm like, I don't like your divisive language which is why you've offended me. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, by calling yourself an ally, by the way, it's very common, this ally business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you're off the social media, so you're probably not as aware as I no. of how much they love the word ally. 
LGBT ally. But ally suggests that there's a war. And it suggests that you need to take sides. And that's what I took umbrage to. Because people are people and you don't define them by their sexuality. True. And I refuse to promote a war that doesn't exist. Like, apply this to any other situation. Picture you were at work and a bunch of Lebanese people are sitting there and a bunch of white people are sitting there having lunch together. And then you come along and you're like, you look at the Lebanese people and you say, ah, my allies. Mm. How how would that make the white people feel? Divisive, definitely. It's divisive language. It's Mm. not, it's not, you know, it's not inclusive language. Mm. Unnecessary, to be honest. And the goal, uh, yeah, it just creates divisiveness. And the goal of the LGBT community, or allegedly on the surface, is inclusiveness. But they use divisive language Mm. to separate us from them. Yeah, Yeah. Because if you're not an ally, and if you don't say you're an ally, you have to be an enemy. It's the only alternate... It's the undertone of being ostracized for yeah. being against it. But um, I guess that leads to my question to you, Roy. For you are my munshi, if I may. People at home might be thinking, what the hell is a munshi? And if you've watched um, Abdul and Victoria, which is a movie about Queen Victoria and her Indian friend Abdul. This is when the Britons took India. Um, she had a teacher, an Indian teacher, and he was called a munshi. Unnecessarily big piece of knowledge there. (laughs) But my question is, what is inclusivity and what does it mean? Like, what does it mean to be inclusive? Because, for instance, I always walk past the Uniting Church on Pitt Street, which uses the name church very loosely, by the way. Um, A bit of history on the Uniting Church, which nobody asked for. It's a combination of three churches, um, the Methodists, the Presbyterians and Congregationalists, Mm. which I find hilarious because the Methodists don't particularly have a method. The Presbyterians (laughs) have actually removed presbyteries and the congregations no longer have a congregation. So, ironic. Very clever with words you are, bro. Well, they don't call me a wordsmith for nothing. <laughs> so, but back to you. What is inclusivity and what does it mean, Roy? Like, does it mean... What does it mean to be inclusive from a Christian perspective? Bro, that's a, a good question. A very tricky question. I, I, off the top of my head, I would say it has something to do with acknowledging and... Uh, seeing and recognizing someone's difference or someone's uniqueness uh, and still inviting them to the table. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you align or agree with this particular value or characteristic or quality that they have. And I think that's very important. There is like a misconception that you you, you can't invite someone to the table unless your values absolutely align with them. So I, I think that's the opposite of inclusivity. I think it has something to do with holding the tension of being different, knowing that you're different, and then trying to find at least something that we have in common ground. For example, I'm a human, you're a human, I have dignity, you have dignity, let's have a chat, let's be friends. But the whole notion of I need you to accept my values, my beliefs, my principles, I think that's the opposite of inclusivity. I think that's very controlling. It's very controlling. It's totalitarian. Yeah. Yeah. It's like dictatorship. Yeah, yeah. That's off the top of my head. What are your thoughts on it, bro? Um, I would tend to agree because my first question is, is being inclusive, oh, sorry, my second question would be, to be inclusive, does it mean to accept the way that someone lives or behaves? No, I think it can't be. I think that that's overly, uh, an overtly controlling, I think. Yeah, because um, I don't want to get too religious because you know me, always want to stay away from the spiritualness, but <laughs> if that isn't a word, but the upcoming gospel this Sunday at the Maronite Church, at least, is the story of the prodigal son. And everyone's heard it, you know, the son comes and says, give me my money early, my inheritance, and then he goes and wastes it, blah, 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 blah. One of my favorites, bro. Yeah, but forget, everyone knows the story, so I'm not going to read it out, but um, 
something that I like to focus is not what everyone else kind of believes, how he came back and the father forgave him. I put, put that aside for a minute. But I like to focus on the freedom that the father gave the son, even though he knew he was doing the wrong thing. Mm. He yeah. allowed him to do the wrong thing. Mm. And yet he accepted him back. He was inclusive mm. in a way. Mm. Um, because you have to let people live their lives to see, to, to come to the truth eventually. You can't force something on them. Yeah. Does yeah. that mean you have to accept what they're doing? Not necessarily. No. Um, but you do need to let them do what they want to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. the church has never tried to control people in such a way that, pre- that, that forces them not to sin. Mm. It gives them guidelines. We don't agree with their behavior. We explain why we don't. Mm. But never force, you never force people. Yeah. And it's funny, man. Like God in his wisdom, like he's set up the world in a way that life always teaches you. So I guess the role of parents and friends and you know, if I really advise you against something, that's me trying to intervene so that I can stop you from the suffering that it might cause. Uh, before life gets to you but uh, I think anytime we, we suspect someone might be doing the wrong thing that's going to hurt them or the people around them in the long run I think like life always shows up it always shows up I guess that's us trying to uh, stand in the way of hopefully protect the people that we love but ultimately you're right bro like it's if, if we don't experience the darkness if, we don't, if, we're, if we're not stuck in the like the, the dark green forest how can we really appreciate an open field wow it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the story of everything, right? You have to go through some sort of suffering to, to realize what you had before, to appreciate the good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is also the prodigal son, you know? Yeah, he, absolutely. He had to lose all his money and, mm. you know, live with the pigs before he realized what he had at home, mm. which was good. Yeah, amen. But that, that what you're saying about the respecting someone's freedom, uh, I think that's a very, very hard way to live because, like, I've caught myself so many times in a, in, a, in a specific scenario where I know I need to let go. I've spoken everything I need to speak. I've tried to convince them. It doesn't work. I know at this point, there's nothing else I can do. Anything else I do will be stepping and violating their freedom. But that wow. takes a lot of self-discipline and a lot of humility to say, yeah, okay, yeah. I can't control this person anymore. I need to surrender it. It's, it's, it, it, the life is forever revealing to me how control that everyone you know, including myself ha- we have controlling tendencies what is that a cheap shot at me <laughs> no it's not but I mean by virtue of nearly everyone I'd say you, you slip okay. into that category I'm sorry if I took that personally but uh, for bit of background for the listeners uh, when we went to Bali I came up with a very tight schedule for everything and mm. some, some people on the trip may have alluded that I was controlling and to them I say, F you. <laughs> what about me? I took offense a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, well, it is what it is. <laughs> but, you know. I still love you. Whilst you were inclusive, irrespective of what you believed, you know, whether you agreed with me or not. Yeah. yeah so, I, I guess in summation, Roy, as a, as a people of church who go to church and hang out at church, are we inclusive of LGBT people? Are they welcome? Absolutely. We would love to include them. Absolutely. Does it necessarily mean we agree or encourage how they live their life? Mm. No. no, no, because that's not a thing. It's never been a thing. Mm. To include someone doesn't mean to accept what, how they behave. When has that been a thing? Mm. In the history of time, it's never been a thing. Except now, mm. they're trying to convince us. And bro, like and this it. is the real problem with today. It's not that we're anti-LGBT and we're not anti-gay people. You want to be gay and go, you know, kiss boys on the lips. We'll keep this PG. Then kiss them on the lips, but don't force that onto other people. 
Mm-hmm. And don't accuse us of being uninclusive if we don't agree with your behavior. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to hate you for it. So you know how I always do the tribal analogy? Oh, I love your tribal <laughs> analogies. I've been waiting six weeks for tribal analogy. Bro, this is not a very good one, but it's something I've thought about before. Like, again, Maybe you should explain what your tribal analogy is. Okay, so basically tribal analogy is something whenever I'm stuck with a dilemma or I'm trying to understand what the right thing to do is, I like to strip down as much as I can different elements, different circumstances. And I find thinking about tribal analogies, the tribes back in the days, is the most raw experience because usually they're just living for survival. They usually have this kind of peace that they're looking after each other. I just, something about this, without the distractions and without the over-exaggerations. Without the noise. And without the noise, yeah, beyond the noise. Something about thinking about the tribal days it helps me just kind of remove as much laser as possible to try and understand what the intentions are of our actions. So, with a tribal analogy, though it's going to be a poor one, I, I often, like, I think of like a village where there's this one man, and he lives on a, on a little tiny hut at the end of the village, right? And he's, he's a farmer and he's got his cows and every morning he goes and milks the cows and whatnot. And this guy has come to form a belief that sexuality is sacred and that it is a gift from God. And for the last 40 years of his life, that's what he's believed. What right? a psycho. And then in another family, you have a young daughter who, as she's growing up, she starts through a university and her social circles and her friends. She starts to dialogue with her mom and say, Mom, I don't believe in that. I believe that sexuality uh, should be positive. It's a positive culture. We should embrace it. No such thing as monogamy and all that kind of stuff. Basically, let loose with your sexuality. Right? Yeah, right. Again, that's her particular belief. Okay. And then at one point, she says, Mom, I want to go now and start preaching and I'm going to pull up anyone who doesn't believe in us. And I could just picture the mom saying but to her daughter, but young lady, that man has spent 40 years of his life. That's what he believes. Isn't that a bit intrusive and controlling for me to walk over to the end of the village, knock on his door and say, hey, mate, what you believe now, it can't be anymore. You need to come on and believe mm-hmm. what we do. It's just, I, I find it so controlling and so... Like, if there wasn't social media, that's what you'd be doing, really. You'd be knocking on people's doors. But how can you go and intrude in someone's house and attack him for his beliefs? Like, if we don't have a right to our own beliefs, which, which dwells in our minds and in our consciences, what right do we have? Yeah, exactly. And so, something you failed to mention about your tribal analogy, the reason we use tribes is because they're, they're very old and um, their main focus is on survival, mm. like food and shelter. And if you're focusing on the important things like food and shelter in life, how ridiculous that someone's going to come and try and like convince you otherwise. Yeah. yeah. You'll be like, like, leave me alone. Like, what the heck? You've believed it for 40 years. Like, and that's just an analogy, of course. But the point is, if I have a belief and it's something I've believed my whole life, you can't really come and prove it to me otherwise. It's something that I believe and hold dear to myself. I think, and vice versa would be intrusive of me to barge into someone else's house and say, hey, you need to adopt my belief. I think yeah. there needs to be respect of beliefs. That's the point exactly. of the entire message. Yeah. Um, so another word, we've discussed the word um, inclusivity. Another word I wanted to discuss is something that I became enraged with a few years ago when I was watching the Golden Globes on TV. And Oprah Winfrey came on the TV and she said something about uh, speaking your truth. That was the phrase she used. Um, which on the surface is a benign or even romantic notion. Ooh, speak your truth. But I thought that... Uh, have, you've obviously heard that phrase. Mm. Uh, it's used a lot now, especially in the media, speak your truth. But it carries with it a very dangerous concept because it's very relativistic. 
relativistic for anyone who doesn't know what it means is not based on objective truth. It's based on people believing what they want to believe. And it doesn't necessarily align with the reality. Um, so basically she was saying everyone should speak your truth and whatever your truth is, people have to be tolerant and accepting of it, whether it's true or not. Mm. So the word tolerance or even acceptance, why is everyone so obsessed with these words? And why has tolerance become the super virtue of our time? Mm. People have become obsessed with it. Um, it's kind of like the more you accept, the holier you are. Like Roy Farah, Farah the patron saint of acceptance. <laughs> why are people so accept? Why as a society have we become so tolerant to the point that the only thing that matters is tolerating? That's a good question. Bro, what are your thoughts on that actually? Before well, I share mine. It's kind of like it doesn't matter what you're tolerating so long as you're being tolerant. And my thoughts are this attitude of over-tolerance is so seeded into the fabric of society now that we've lost sense of what's right and wrong. Mm. Mm. Because the only sin is thou shalt not make others feel guilty. That's, 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 that's what I feel. Mm. Thou shalt not make others feel bad for how they, what they are or what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and simply put, it's a byproduct of relativism purchased at the cost of true virtue. And that's probably a big and complicated phrase. But mm. in short, it, it teaches us that acceptance is a fruit of the emotion rather than a feat of the will. Mm. So accept, and well, just to summarize before I pass on to you, what does that mean? It means that instead of being driven by reason and goodness, people are driven by emotions and feelings um, and avoiding making others feel bad. Yeah. It's like all that governs us is being politically correct all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But it, like I haven't really thought too much about it, but... Something I can say, I think, is that the origins of this kind of movement, I, 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 would, I would guess, came from a few things. One is that people had genuine intentions. They, they thought that, look, we probably should stop upsetting people and learn to accept them. I, I won't deny that it pro probably came from good intentions. But I also think at the same moment, it might have come from spiteful intentions. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that I, I, I constantly witness and observe a hostility towards the traditional institutions, like the Catholic Church, for example, uh, like you know the you know the British system, for example, Anglo-Saxon system, things that traditionally might have oppressed, um, even in their perspective, oppressed uh, you know, minorities or you know people who perhaps felt marginalised, and mm. that's no, no one's not guilty of that, of course, you know people yeah, who yeah. represent institutions, but the fact that the, the matter is that despite all that, I, I do believe it still comes from spite, so. Yeah, they have good intentions, but they also, I feel like they're uh, deep down trying to fight the war that you can't control me. You can't, uh, you know, it's almost like payback for the victims that were marginalized. And I think, though you might think you're doing some sort of justice act, I actually think it's an unhealthy way to think. Yeah. To, to think that you're going to take justice for, for other people, I think it's unrealistic, if I'm being honest. So, what do you think? So, given now that everyone is so over tolerant and are obsessed with acceptance and tolerance, what, what's the solution? How can we offer people a solution to that? What's the counter? What's the prescription to this problem? Mm. I mean, if you ask Jesus, what answer would he give? The answer is always the same, right? Mm. Kind of the answer is always love. Yeah. And. Because true love is intolerant. Mm. Would you agree with that? Statement? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's intolerant towards all enemies of love. Mm. Because it's in the same way, for instance, that a loving father is intolerant of every, any evil that affects his child. 
love doesn't give up in the face of enemies, but like it kind of fights with all the strength. Like if you had a kid, Roy, God willing, and uh, say your son, little, let's call him Johnny, mm. after your dad's name, comes home and says, Dad, Roy, I'm going to start doing meth. What would you say? Yeah, naturally, I'd be very opposed. and I would. You'd crack him one? I would, yeah, I would be very, very against it, definitely. Um, you'd lose your composure? Why? Conflict. But why? Because you love them and you don't exactly. want to fall into addiction. And love doesn't necessarily mean accepting what someone's doing just because they have the right to do it or because they have the opportunity to do it. Um, because he may not know that it's in his best interest not to do it. He might not know it's bad for him. Mm. But you know. And real love involves real hatred. And that's a strong thing to say. But hatred of all that is morally ugly and all that separates us from goodness. Mm. Real mm. love involves real hatred of all that separates us from goodness. Yeah. So tolerance is a fake virtue. And the prescription is love. To love someone means to want the best for them. And that means to be intolerant towards anything that is or may hurt them. Mm. ever in their life yeah yeah it's definitely not to walk away bro on such a small scale example sometimes I'll see one of my students at school uh, chewing gum and like because I've committed to the fact that I really want to, them to build the habit of being mindful that they're in an institution where that's not appropriate uh, I usually not 99% of the time I'll address it if I see someone chewing gum but sometimes the temptation sneaks in for me I see them it's the end of the day and to I ask them for a piece of gum <laughs> Not quite. Okay. The, I'd see them and say, oh, I could turn a blind eye, blind eye very easy. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because I don't think it's good for them, sometimes that requires me to come out of myself, walk towards the conflict, come to their level. And slap it out of their mouth. <laughs> Not quite, but um, um, I'll address them about it. But the point yeah. I'm trying to make is that sometimes love is demanding. Sometimes it puts us in conflict. I remember yeah. exactly having a conversation with someone. I can't remember if it was my spiritual director or a priest or whatever. I, I wanted to know if they thought that the father of the prodigal son actually fought and argued and tried his best to keep his son before he left. Because it didn't make sense to me that he wouldn't. And he just said, all right, now here's your money. I feel that's apathetic. Yeah, wow. But love, like you said, would be to do everything within our Christian virtue, of course, to convince them that what you're doing is going to hurt you. You're going to be afraid and lonely and scared. Stay on my side. I think that's what love is, man. Yeah. So, say no to cancel culture. You know? Don't cancel people. Oh, I mean, not that you listeners are cancelling people, but people are being, you know, good celebrities are being cancelled for mm. standing up for the truth. Mm. You know, Jesus was actually the first celebrity of cancel culture. Wow. That's a first victim, celebrity victim of yeah. cancel culture. Yeah, yeah. He got cancelled. They're like, no, nah, this guy doesn't go with the thing. Let's cancel him. Mm. Mm. Like right. I always say, bro, the ironic thing about Jesus is that he was born in a stable, which ironically isn't a very stable environment for an infant. And yet the name persists. Bro, can I share one story with you before we, we let go? I would love nothing more. So I was uh, driving Uber, I reckon this was a year ago, and I picked up uh, a married couple. I knew they were married because of their conversation. Being an Uber driver, as you know, bro. Were they I, fighting? I got, they were, yeah. That's how you know they're married. <laughs> and being an Uber driver, I, I got to... And very luckily, I got to hear a lot of conversations. I, I reckon I heard thousands of conversations, personality types. I picked up on traits and habits that like, I would have never have picked up on had I not listened to this man. So arguably, Uber taught you psychology. I, I promise you, like to one extent, it did. Like I've had people open up to me and whatever, just because I was able to observe things. 
One of the things wow. I observed, so I picked up this lovely couple, married couple, from a nice restaurant in uh, Enmore, Newtown. Do you remember the restaurant name? Because no. I feel a lot of our viewers are invested. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I don't. But So I picked them up. So they were in the back, we were driving, and I was listening to their conversation. And she, he, the wife said something very positive, like something like, for example, how good was the steak? And he responded saying, yeah, yeah, it was good. But Jesus, I, I really didn't like that guy's conversation, just naming a guy. And then she's like, yeah, yeah, it, was, it, was, it, was, it wasn't the best. Um, but honestly, I really love the way that she planned his birthday. It was absolutely amazing. And yeah. he responds, yeah, it was good, it was good. They probably could have put a bit more wine out or something like that. And I promise you, for the next five minutes, it was like a tennis match. She'd say something positive, he'd say something negative. Positive, negative. And I, I was so, like... That's so toxic. It, it was very toxic and I was very, like, surprised. And it made me realize something that I see myself every single day. Bro, the addiction, the negative thinking is an addiction. It is absolutely, I, 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 I wow. cannot stress this enough. Negative, um, negative thinking is an addiction. It's like, it's not, it's not something you're conscious of, but that, how toxic is that? How is she, someone to only see the negative and not see the positive? How is she tolerating him? How has she divorced him yet? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she's seeing the positive. <laughs> they really are yin and yang. But like, you know. oh, yeah, maybe she's seeing the positive. <laughs> he's very critical. Of that. Yeah, yeah. That he's very rude to his father. When writing essays and shit. <laughs> <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is it was just something I, I remember that came to my mind today and bringing it to my own life and to, to I just I guess it's a, a word of uh, a reminder to myself to you and to others that just try to see the positive in things learn to pay attention to your own thoughts so that you stop being so critical of things all the time mm. it's a bit irrelevant but I think it felt it falls in the scope of control if you're kind of always looking to control people their views their values Try find the positive. Try say that this person laughs like I, I laugh, that they feel like I feel. That's just yeah. something I thought I wanted to share. It was a story that uh, Man, I wanted I, to share for a while. I love your Uber stories. They are so There's good. actually another one that I love. Would you tell it or not? Which one? The one uh, about the guy who's not a brother. <laughs> it's so irrelevant. And to be honest, I'm not very proud of it because it was a moment of anger, unnecessary. But hilarity. Yeah. So I was driving once and the particular cab driver wouldn't let me overtake. Like as I put my blinker on, he sped up and... We got to the to the lights and we had a like a bit of a verbal altercation and I had the passengers in the car. Interesting way of saying fight, but go on. <laughs> well, no, because I wasn't like being rude or anything. I just, I think I was just so angry. And to be honest, this was controlling. I shouldn't have said anything to him. But so I put the window down and we started arguing and the passengers in the car are just dead silent listening, okay, in my car. And I, I, and I said something like, do you know why you didn't let me go? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is so arrogant. I shouldn't have said this. Do you know why you didn't let me go? He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, why is he asking me this question? I said, what did I say? Because, because you have you have greed in your heart. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? Blah, blah, blah. He's really, really defensive and arguing. I said, if you saw me as your brother and not as your enemy, you would be happy for me to go. You would slow down and let me go. But because you see me as your competitor, your enemy, of course you're going to, you, you find like insecurity and greed and you want to block me off. I said it in, along those lines and he absolutely lost it because when most people... He, he was awakened to himself. <laughs> And he couldn't handle the reality of, of what he was. <laughs> but I should have done that. And I was thrilled. That's overly critical. Yeah. But, but the funniest actually, thing was... He's actually a Buddhist monk now. <laughs> <laughs> the funniest thing was, after I closed the window, my passengers were like, you're so right. Don't worry about him. Yeah. <laughs> that was supportive. <laughs> they were at his coronation. <laughs> Not that, I don't know if Buddhist monks get coronations. I but, have no idea. Uh, the fu- the, that they, they were supportive of what I said, as if they were moved by it. Like... It was, uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of funny stories like that. But again, moment of control, trying to... My mum told me something wise actually yesterday. My mum used to be a teacher in Lebanon. So I asked her, did you ever have like students that 
were always you know, smart aleks and, and giving you a lot of trouble because some, that's naturally something, as you know, in Australia that you deal with often. And she said, yeah, of course, in Lebanon it was like that, probably not as much as he. But her, her main point was that we, we, didn't, we weren't put on this earth to control and raise people. That's not our job. Our job is to love them, to be merciful and compassionate. Which is ironic because our mums are very controlling. <laughs> Nonetheless, it was very wise advice because if I go in trying to control everyone, I think that's more from an insecurity. Okay. So thanks for listening, guys. Don't be controlling. <laughs> and don't forget to look beyond the noise. That was 30, you know, that was 32 minutes. This is our longest one yet. We is beat it? last week's record. Yeah, and, and to be honest, it could have went for another minute had you not cut me out. But thanks for listening, guys. Okay, guys, we're just going to go discuss how rude I was. And <laughs> he's going to need 15 minutes to heal. Yeah, but okay. luckily, the foot is on so I can distract you. <laughs> go the Bolfins. Go the Bolfins. Billy Mason's a Dolphin player, right? No, he's neither not a Bolfin nor a Billy Mason. Okay, well, yeah, say hi to your mums for me.